Well, traditionally, can you hear me? There we go. Traditionally, during the Advent season, we talk about Jesus, and rightly so. Of course, we talk about Jesus every week, but there's something unique and something special about the Advent season as we think about Christ coming, as we remember and we celebrate the incarnation, the Son of God taking on flesh, being born as the man, God, the God-man, Christ Jesus. And from a preaching standpoint, there are any number of options. As If you've grown up in church or been around long enough, you know that we could preach the birth narratives from the Gospels. We could do Old Testament prophecy like Isaiah 7 or Isaiah 9. Uh, we could do um, a series on angelic announcement uh, for the coming of Christ and the coming of John, uh, excuse me, John the Baptist. Any number of options. But as Pastor West mentioned at the beginning, we wanted to do something a little different this year in that we wanted to take a few weeks to camp out on some attributes of Jesus but maybe not the attributes you might normally think of. Uh, when I think about a series on the attributes of Christ, coming from a, a seminary perspective, I think of like, oh, we're going to talk about His humanity or His divinity or how in the world those go together or maybe His divine knowledge, things like that. And those are all well and good, but we wanted to do something that was maybe a little bit not as um, common and hopefully some attributes that get very personal for us. This is not a, a, an Advent series of lofty theology. This is an Advent series of personal, meaningful truth about who Jesus is. And so uh, Wes will be preaching next week on gentleness. We'll talk about the power and the strength of Jesus. And then lastly, even his humility. But today, I want us to think about an attribute of Jesus that probably not many of us maybe have considered, maybe not heard preached on. I know I haven't. And it's the compassion of Jesus. What does it mean if we say that Jesus is compassionate? And we're going to spend some time in a text today that is more often than not preached as a missions and evangelism passage. Jesus talks about the, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, so send, you know, ask the Lord to send out laborers. And so we preach this often as a missions passage, and I think rightfully so. But in this passage, there's this picture of a compassionate Savior. One who looks out upon hurting and broken people and is moved with compassion. And so I want us to spend our time today considering what that means. What, what does the word compassion mean? What does it look like in the life of Jesus? And how he displayed compassion to the people that he encountered. And so our main idea for today, this is what I want us to see in the text. Jesus shows compassion to the physically hurting and the spiritually lost. Let me pray for us and ask the Lord to guide our time in the word. Our Father in heaven, we are uh, mindful uh, this week, as every week, that we approach your word expecting to hear from you. Uh, it is divinely inspired. It is authoritative. We ask that you would help us to come ready to receive, not so much ready to say what we would want it to say, but to receive what it does say. And we ask that your spirit would give us understanding, help us to think and to know, but also help us to act and to apply. Give us grace where we might push back against that, soften us to your truth and to your teaching. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's begin our time in the Word this morning by seeing that Jesus shows compassion. I want to read for us again Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36. It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, Matthew records for us here, he had compassion for them 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This section of verses records for us this interaction. Jesus, if you follow his life, was often surrounded by, sometimes crushingly so, multitudes of people, crowds of people, and all of them had problems. All of them had needs. All of them had concerns. And so Jesus, in one of these encounters, looks out upon the multitudes, could be hundreds, even thousands of people. And Matthew records for us that the emotion that he feels, the response that he has for this, uh, this multitude of people is compassion. If you want to write this down, compassion simply means this, to show great love and affection for someone. It's to show great love and affection for someone. In, in the original language, it was, the, uh, it was a word for the, the guts or the bowels. You think that seems strange, but uh, we think of emotion being from the heart. But in this day and age, it was idea that was emotion came from something deeper, so in your gut. So if we were to try to put that in language that we would, that we would understand, uh, compassion is a, a gut-wrenching feeling of love and concern. You've probably all experienced something like that. that. That emotion that just it almost doubles you over. It's like you love so much that you hurt. That's what this compassion is. And to try to get a better understanding of this, let me tell you two other places this word is used. One is in Luke chapter 10 with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember the story? The, the Israelite is coming down the road, gets ambushed, beaten, robbed, left for dead. Uh, people come by, the people that you would expect to help, and they sort of walk to the other side and look away and don't make eye contact. And then Jesus says along comes this Samaritan, pretty much the worst character you could have as a hero in a story uh, from a Jewish perspective. But in Luke chapter 10, verse 33, it says, A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, that was the wounded man, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And you think, well, what, what does that look like? Well, he says in the very next verse, He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. It's compassion, it's this loving concern, but we're already seeing these hints of it's more than that. Another opportunity for us to understand, another place it's used, Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son. Another story, a son says, hey dad, give me my inheritance now, I'm off to live it up. Goes and tries that, doesn't end well, comes to his senses and says, you know what, I'm going to go home and just live as a slave because it's better where I am now. And as he's walking home, uh, we're told in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, he arose, he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. If you know the story, you know what happens next. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. Compassion here is this, this gut-wrenching, this deep concern, this love for someone. And I want us to notice, certainly in these two parables and in the passage here in Matthew chapter 9, compassion is more than a feeling. It's not the aw kind of feeling. It's more than that. It's more significant. It's deeper than that. And I want to try to give you a few illustrations because I think it's so important that we, we get a grasp of what this really is. So compassion is not. Let me give you three of these. What compassion is not here? Compassion is not how you feel when you roll up to a stop sign and you see on there someone has taped a piece of paper and it says lost animal. You know, and there's this picture of this cute little fur ball and you think, oh, no, someone's lost their animal. That's not this. Hopefully you're saddened when you see those. As a dog lover, I certainly am. But that's not what we're talking about. That's not compassion in this sense. Um, it's not even when you see the commercial. Let's up the ante a little bit. 
where the dogs are all in cages and uh, Sarah McLaughlin is singing in the arms of the angels. Oh, man, I can't even watch that commercial. I have to turn it off. Just, oh, it's gripping. But even that's not what we're talking about. Even that's not this sort of compassion. What compassion is, it's how you feel when the phone rings in the middle of the night and an officer on the other end says there's been an accident and you need to come to the hospital. Compassion is how you feel when a friend calls you and they say, you know what, I just, I don't know what to do, my marriage is crumbling. Compassion is how you feel when a friend or a loved one, maybe a family member, calls and says, hey, I just got off the phone with a doctor. It's cancer. That's what compassion is in the life of Jesus. A gut-wrenching, W-over love and concern for someone who's hurting. Jesus looked out on the crowds, and that's what he felt. He didn't look out on the crowds and say, boy, there's a lot of problems here. Man, it sure is sad. No, he looked out on the crowds, and he felt this overwhelming love and concern for all the brokenness that he sees. It's a concern for their physical and their spiritual well-being we'll talk about in a moment. As I thought about this text, I thought, isn't it amazing? Think about who Jesus is, that he looks out on the crowds and could have had any number of emotional responses, but we're told that it was compassion. Um, If it were me, it probably would have been impatience. I got places to be, people to see. I don't have time for all these people. I'm Jesus. I'm very important. I have things to do. That would have been my response, but that's not what we see. We also don't see that he has uh, a dismissive attitude or a disregard. Jesus doesn't look out on the crowds and say, well, you know what? Life's tough, people, so live with it. No. He looks out and he has compassion, and there's an encouragement here for believers. Jesus cares deeply about us. Jesus cares deeply about our physical and our spiritual well-being. He cares when we're hurting. He cares when we are hurting. He loves us more deeply than we can even understand. And I think there's an encouragement here as well as we think about our efforts to tell people about Jesus. And and we tell people about Jesus and what he's done for us. We tell them how much God loves us and how much Jesus loves us and the extent to which he would go to show us that love all the way even to the cross. And maybe you've run into the situation where you get someone who responds and they say, you know what, it sounds like a great story, but I'm just not buying it. Someone who has been so burned by the world that they have learned that nobody cares. They've learned that nobody really cares about them or takes an interest. Uh, Maybe that's you here this morning. Maybe that's you watching online. You have been so burned by the world, maybe growing up in a broken home, broken family, uh, suffering abuse or abandonment time and time again, discouragement, and you have learned nobody cares. Well, I can tell you this morning on the authority of Scripture that Jesus cares. It may be true that nobody else cares about you in this world, but I can guarantee you that Jesus cares about you. Jesus cares when you are hurting, and he cares that you are suffering. Some of you may be familiar with the old hymn, Does Jesus Care?, one of my favorites. Uh, We sang it at my last church, and it begins like this. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long? The chorus is this. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. 
When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. If you're here this morning and you're suffering, you're struggling, you're just hoping to make it to the end of the day. You can't even think about tomorrow yet. You're just trying to hang on for today. I can tell you that Jesus cares, and he cares deeply. But, of course, compassion is more than a feeling. It's great to know that someone cares. It's better to see that they care. Compassion is an emotion that leads to action. One author defines it this way. He says, compassion is an attitude toward a need that grows into action in an effort to meet the need. So compassion is not just a, oh, that looks bad. Oh, that's unfortunate. It's an emotion that leads to an action to try to fix it, to try to help. And so I want us to see in our second point this morning that Jesus shows compassion to the physically hurting. Look at chapter 9 again, verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and doing what? Healing every disease and every affliction. The two central components of Jesus' ministry, preaching or teaching and healing. I like to think of it this way, that his preaching announced the arrival of the kingdom and his healing uh, demonstrated the power of the king. So he stands up and he says, I'm preaching the kingdom is coming. And then I'm healing to show you the power of the king. And of course, if you look at the uh, gospel texts and you read through there, you'll find healings galore. Left and right, Jesus is healing people of all sorts of maladies. In fact, if you're looking for homework to do this weekend, uh, the rest of the weekend or even this week, go home and read through the gospels and try to find every time Jesus heals somebody. It's pretty remarkable. Uh, just a, a, an example of this, he often heals people who are sick. You think about the official who had a son who was sick in John chapter 4. Uh, you think about uh, Peter's mother-in-law who had fever. Uh, Jesus often healed uh, lepers. Luke chapter 8, there was the woman who had the discharge of blood, spent everything she had trying to get it fixed. It comes to Jesus and he heals her. Jesus often would heal people with physical defect. Remember the, the paralytic who his friends dug out the roof and dropped him down through to bring him to Jesus? And, of course, Jesus heals him. Jesus would heal the blind and the mute. One of my favorite from Matthew 12, the man with the withered hand. Jesus says, stretch out your hand and it's healed. And what I find most encouraging when I think about these sorts of people that Jesus heals is that he, he's not healing the religious elite. He's not healing the most financially wealthy. He's not healing the people who had the best insurance. He's not healing the people who are most influential. In fact, he's healing the people that the rest of society had already turned its back on. He's healing the sort of people that couldn't get help anywhere else. A common attitude in this day and time was that if you are suffering some sort of sickness or some sort of um, deformity or ailment, then the reality is either you or somebody else has sinned. And you're suffering God's judgment. It's the same sort of thinking in the book of Job, right? You're having a rough day? Well, you just need to repent more because you're suffering. You've been sinning too much. If you're suffering, we even see it in the life of Jesus. People would come to him and they, and they would say, look at this guy who's suffering. Did he sin or did his parents sin? So it doesn't even have to be you. If you're suffering, it could have been someone else who sinned and now you're suffering the consequences. And if you had other conditions like, uh, for example, leprosy, or a discharge of blood, some other things like that, you were considered ceremonially unclean. It wasn't just enough that you were sick. Now, if you're unclean, you don't get to participate in religious life. 
you oftentimes don't get to participate in communal life. You have to be separated. I think about lepers. When you walk down the street as a leper, you had to yell out, unclean, unclean, just so everybody could get out of the way. Because if they get in contact with you, now they're unclean, and they don't want that. The sort of people that Jesus heals are the sort of people who had no one else. The sort of people who were at the bottom of society, overlooked by society, disregarded by society, disregarded by the people that you would think would care, like religious leaders. He heals the outcasts. They're the people that everybody else avoided, and yet Jesus shows compassion. What an incredible contrast between everybody else and Jesus. When others would look away, Jesus would look right at someone. When others would run away and and just keep their distance, Jesus would draw near. When others would avoid contact at all cost, Jesus would touch. Incredible contrast here. And isn't it amazing, of all the ways that Jesus could have shown and proven and demonstrated His divine power, more often than not, He chose to do it in very simple, very personal, often private, and in some sense, insignificant ways. I thought about this this week, you know, Jesus in doing these healings, yes, He is proving His divine power, but if all He wanted to do was just prove to people He was God, He could have just Uh, Call down fire from heaven. He could have obliterated a building. He could have thrown mountains into the sea or caused an earthquake. He could have done any number of these flashy activities to prove to people, hey, you want to know I'm God? Poof, no more mountain. Are you impressed? He could have done all those things. But yet he chooses to demonstrate his power in the back of a room, no crowd around, and a young girl is lying in bed. And he says, little girl, get up. He chooses to demonstrate his power in helping the sort of people that everybody else said, Jesus, why are you helping those people? Nobody cares about those people. What are you doing there? Let's do something else. He chooses to show his power and demonstrate his power in that way. And I find it amazing because he chose to put together two things. He chose to put together a demonstration of power with his compassion for hurting people. He said, yes, I will prove who I am, but it will be in helping people. And it will be in helping people who are, from a societal standpoint, insignificant, forgotten. What a loving and compassionate Savior. For all the things He could have done, He chose to help and He chose to heal. Jesus' compassion led Him to action to heal the physically hurting. But He didn't just stop there. It also led Him to focus on spiritual needs. And I want us to see finally this morning Jesus shows compassion to the spiritually lost. Look again at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. When Jesus looks out on the crowd, of course, he sees physically hurting. How could you not see it? But he also sees a spiritual problem. He sees that people lacked good spiritual leaders and that they had been oftentimes ravaged by spiritual abuse. He he calls them harassed and helpless. It's the picture of someone who is uh, thrown down, who is torn, and who is discouraged. It's the idea of someone who lives in constant spiritual discouragement. They're just at the bottom. There's nothing left, no farther to go. Just utter spiritual ruin and brokenness. 
and he says that they're sheep without a shepherd. The religious leaders who should have been their spiritual shepherds have instead taken advantage of the people. They've led them astray. They've often come along and abused them rather than leading them towards following God. Some of this may sound familiar from back in July, August, September when we were in the book of Luke. That was one of the points that Jesus made is he would, he would talk to the religious leaders and say, you guys should have known better. You are the ones who should have helped my people follow God, and yet you've come along and you've done exact opposite. You've put stumbling blocks in their way. You come along and you add all these extra rules and you say it's for their good, but all it does is lead them to spiritual and emotional ruin. And so Jesus looks out on these crowds and he says, it's like looking out upon sheep with no shepherd. If you're a farming sort, or even if you're not, you take away the shepherd, sheep are just gone. They need a shepherd. Without one, they cannot uh, get what they need, and they're lost without it. And so Jesus recognizes that the Jewish people are like spiritual sheep without a shepherd. Their leaders have not been faithful shepherds. A faithful shepherd leads and protects and provides, and Jesus says, we don't have these. People needed a better shepherd. And of course, that's what Jesus claimed to be. John chapter 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the what? The good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus looks out and says, you guys, y'all don't have a shepherd anywhere. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I will step in. I will take care. Jesus sees the need for spiritual healing because the people are lost. No understanding of who God is, no knowledge of his saving work, no chance of being saved except that someone would come in and help. Jesus' compassion compels him not to leave the people in their spiritual lostness, but to act. And look, how his, look at his two actions here. There's prayer and there's commissioning. He tells the disciples, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Guys, you, you see all this need here? Pray to the Father. You see all the opportunities of people who could be brought out. The harvest is plentiful. I mean, the Spirit's at work. He could draw people out today. Pray to the Lord. Pray and ask Him. And commissioning. Ask Him what? To send out laborers into the harvest. He says, guys, look, look at all the need. Look at all the spiritual need. People lost as a goose in a snowstorm. What we need is people to work in the harvest. And that's exactly what he does, actually. If you turn your page to chapter 10, you'll see that he is sending out the 12. If you remember from a few months ago, back in Luke chapter 10, he sends out the 72. And we took from that story that what Jesus is doing is he's showing us that everybody goes. Everybody is called. Everybody tells other people about Jesus. He looks out on the crowds and he sees this utter ruin and lostness. To be honest, that's what I tend to see when I look out upon the world. It seems like every day our world just gets more lost. People who are in utter ruin, spiritually, emotionally, just brokenness everywhere. And yet Jesus looks out and he recognizes that, but he also recognizes that God is going to work in that and bring something out of that. But how can he? He needs laborers. And so Jesus says his, his compassion for those who are lost and hurting compels him to action, to commission the 12, to commission the 72, and of course to commission us as well. Jesus cares about the spiritually lost. If you're here or you're watching and, and you would be willing to admit, yeah, I'm not a Christian, I don't know Jesus, 
And you think, well, but Jesus doesn't care about me. No, he does, actually. He cares greatly about you. In fact, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus says that he came specifically to seek and to save the lost. If, if, you're, if you don't believe Jesus is concerned about you, you've missed it. You're priority one right there. He says, on my mission, to seek and to save the lost. In this time of Advent, we remember and celebrate the extent to which Jesus shows compassion. The extent to which he demonstrates compassion for the spiritually lost. He went so far as to take on flesh, to dwell among them, to take their sin upon them, your sin and my sin upon him, to lay down his life for them as a good shepherd, but not to leave it down, to take it up again. Of course, that's the gospel. We don't just celebrate the gospel at Easter time. We celebrate it at Christmas time as well. God saves sinners. How? It started in sending his son. He sent his son for us. That is the extent to which he loves us. That is the extent to which he went to prove his compassion. When you understand the gravity of spiritual lostness, I believe you will be compelled to help. When you really understand the depravity of, of, of people who are lost, and when you understand the consequences of remaining lost, we will be compelled to act. We will be compelled to prayer and commissioning, prayer and evangelism. Pray to the Lord, ask for the opportunities, and then go and tell. We pray for lost people. We share with them the truth of the gospel. Compassion for the lost, it leads to action. Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher, said it this way in a sermon. He said, I believe that much of the secret of soul winning lies in having bowels of compassion. I love that. He said, the secret to soul winning, you know, evangelism, going out and reaching people, he says, it lies in having bowels of compassion, in having spirits that can be touched with the feeling of human infirmities. What that means is that to, to the degree that we understand lost people's spiritual need, we will engage in compassionate action to see them saved. So if you find that your desire to reach lost people is sort of waning a little bit, then what you need to do is get a fresh vision of their spiritual need. He says, if you, Spurgeon would say, if, if you're feeling like you're not really concerned for soul winning, for evangelism, really to tell people about Jesus, uh, I think Spurgeon would say you need some new bowels. Your bowels of compassion are, are wilting a little bit. And I think Spurgeon would say, as he did in his quote, that you've lost sight of being touched with the feeling of human infirmities. Because to the degree that we really understand the need, we will be uh, compelled and driven to compassionate action. And frankly, I am grateful that here at Crosspoint, we see the two very actions that Jesus does. We have prayer and we have commissioning. We pray often, as we just did, for Kenya and for Croatia. Earlier in the fall, we had our weeks where we would pray each week for different neighborhoods around town, for people who live there, asking the Lord to give us opportunities. And of course, we have commissioning. We have sending. Every Sunday when we open those doors and we say, hey, get out of here, that's go tell people about Jesus. Go back to your homes. Go back to your offices, to your workplaces, to your schools. Tell them about Jesus. We pray and we sin. We pray and we go. We encourage one another to tell people about Jesus near and far, in our neighborhoods and even around the world. Because compassion compels us to help those who are hurting. And the greatest need we have around the world right now is not more food, it's not less violence, though those are important. The greatest need we have is the spiritual lostness. 
people who do not know Jesus but desperately need him. When Jesus looks out on the crowd, he does what is certainly amazing. I think even to the people who would have been there would have been surprised. He shows great compassion to the physically hurting and the spiritually lost. He was motivated by a deep love and concern to help people who had no hope. He met people in their needs, in their infirmities, in their lostness. He didn't say, all right, everybody, put on your best face, tidy up a little bit, then come to me and I'll help. No, he went right in the midst of their need. When others ran away, Jesus was the one drawing near. I mentioned earlier that the season of Advent is one in which we remember and celebrate our compassionate Savior. I think it should also be a time in which we proclaim and herald our compassionate Savior. Yes, we as Christians are celebrating. We ought to be proclaiming as well. People need to hear the truth of Jesus. We ought to proclaim Him so that those who have not known Him might know Him today. And so I'll leave you this morning with this question. Very simple yet profound. And it's simply this, have you met the compassionate Savior? Have you personally met the compassionate Savior? Have you been taught by the world that no one cares? And maybe you're hearing this message this morning and you're starting to get this sliver of hope. You didn't have any before. You're starting to think, maybe somebody does care. Maybe Jesus actually is different. It's like Whitney saying earlier, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. It's not to say that no one cares, but no one cares like Jesus. I want to encourage you to draw near this morning to the one who draws near to you in the middle of your suffering. For many of us, Christmas is a good time of year, but for many of us, Christmas is probably not the best time of the year. Christmas is often the time of year when physical suffering and spiritual lostness are front and center in our family gatherings. Often it's a season of sadness for many people. It's a reminder of who we've loved and lost in this year, who's not with us that was here last year. Or maybe it's a reminder of people that we still have, people who are living in destruction because of their spiritual lostness and coming around a table is a fresh reminder of that. You add on top of that the year that we've had in 2020, and I can just leave it at that, the year we've had in 2020, I would say that right now in this Advent season, the world needs to hear about a compassionate Savior, about a Savior who really cares. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we are in awe, I think, that you would show great love to us by sending a Savior, a Son who is compassionate and kind, As we take what we've heard today and we think on it and we chew on it, I pray that your spirit would encourage and comfort us. I pray that if there are those here this morning who don't know you or maybe someone watching who doesn't know you, uh, that you would impress upon their hearts this truth, that you love them and that you are compassionate. Lord Jesus, we are mindful as ever, the brokenness of our world. Uh, It seems to get worse every day, but you are also mindful. You look out upon the brokenness and you see it, but you also see what God is going to do in drawing out spiritual fruit. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us to do the same, to see the brokenness, to show compassion, but also to go and serve and proclaim a compassionate Savior that we might see this harvest that you say is plentiful. 
Hear our praises as we respond in song. In Jesus' name we pray.